Hey, welcome to the Northeast Hunt and Film Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Alex. Here you'll find hunting stories and strategies based mainly out of the Northeast, but we'll also include hunts from all around the country. If you can hunt it and you can film it, chances are we're going to talk about it on here. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Northeast Hunt and Film. On this week's episode, I'm joined again with Jeremy Valentine. We're talking turkeys, we're talking shed hunting, we're talking we're talking hunting big woods bucks, stands to set up, things to watch out for, wind and thermals, all kinds of good stuff. So turkey season's open now. Uh, went down to Mass on Saturday, and it was kind of a last minute decision to, to turkey hunt Mass. I, I didn't plan on it. And then New Hampshire didn't open until Sunday, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, I still got to apply for my doe tag, and um, you got to buy the hunting license to do so. So might as well spend another 10 bucks and get turkey tag and go Saturday. So we went down there, and uh, I knew where some birds might be just based on where I deer hunt. I'd seen scratching and stuff around, and it's looks like good turkey habitat so we went there got out of the car and uh sure enough heard a gobble i think it was a uh tom and two jakes so we worked up the hill and uh got level with them i called a little bit just real light and we heard putting from a from a hen we thought we were busted so we kind of just backed out real slow and circled up further up the ridge I called again and she started calling back, cutting back. And I cut back to her and arguing with her there on the ridge, trying to pull her up to, to get that long beard in with her. But she took him, took him away. And, uh, we, we think we thought crossed the road. So we circled around, went across the road, couldn't strike him up, couldn't find him. And I got looking at the map and, there was a, a field in somebody's, you know, somebody's yard that was just down below uh, where they roosted. So we're guessing they went went to there. So we went around, tried to find some other birds, and uh, no luck. Saturday, New Hampshire opener was crazy. We had birds gobbling everywhere. Uh, we were working, working towards some birds and heard a shot. Somebody slipped up underneath us a little ways off, but in the interim, I had called this bird. Well, we got up to the top of this ridge and you could just see a bunch of ridges around. So I just, I got on the call pretty aggressively and, uh, heard gobble way off. I mean, a quarter mile away, way off and, you know, real faint. We're kind of just like, oh, well, if this doesn't work out, we'll, we'll go after him. Went after those birds, heard the shot, said, okay, we'll go after that one. So we're heading down off the mountain and, you know, we're hoofing it. We're trying to get to him, to the ridge where he was. Luckily we were out of sight, but he gobbles like right there. We're both looking at each other like, oh crap, what do we do? Luckily there was some cover behind us and I, it was really open and I 
thought he wouldn't commit without the decoy. So I got the decoy out of my pack and I put it up and we talked back, uh, behind this, or she was in front of a, I think it was an ash tree, but there was hemlocks, low hemlock boughs near us. So it was kind of a little ground blind-esque setup. And I was over her shoulder with the camera. He popped his head up and I could see him because I was about a foot above her head. I could see like from his waddle up, you know, so if I had a gun beat on him, I, I could have killed him, but she could only see like, you know, the, from his eyeball up from the little knoll. And he saw that decoy and he strutted down there. I mean, there's a lot of things I would have done differently in hindsight, but crawling up there would have been an option, but we thought he'd just circle around or I thought he'd just circle around and maybe come in at a different angle. So I was getting her to, to swing left while I was scratching at the leaves and he's gobbling, 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 just insane. So he ended up working off. He didn't like something. Probably the fact that the, my Walmart decoy wasn't moving, but he, he went the other way. We circled around to try to get in front of him, but he ended up crossing the back across the road and going back where he came from. Then we heard another bird way off and went to try to go work him don't really know what happened with that one he must have drifted off maybe had a hen with him I don't know but uh today Monday the second before work I I went out and uh first spot I went to no birds second spot I went to I was like well I I gotta just go for a hike I guess because I can't just keep driving around to getting further away from work um I gotta be in for six thirty, seven o'clock Getting my stuff on, I hear a distant gobble, and I'm hoofing it because they're going to hit the ground here in 10, 15 minutes. I'm hoofing it up the power line, going, 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 and I hear, I don't know how he didn't see me, but I heard a gobble like right in front of me, just off the power line. I kind of just stopped in my tracks and crouched down. I got my binoculars up to try to see if I could see him in the tree, but I couldn't, so he maybe just out of sight, but real close. I'd say uh, 70 yards probably. Um, less than a hundred for sure. So I backed up real slow. I just, I didn't turn around. I just backed up. So I, I, you know, less movement. So I slipped back down the power line, tucked in the woods, you know, got looking around like, okay, this is, a, I can call now if, if he, if he's going to come, I can set up. So I gave him a few light yelps. He responded right away. I got a little more aggressive with the yelps and he cut me off. He's still in the tree at this point. So I was like, okay, he's, he's definitely interested. So I set up, I gave it another five minutes or so. And I just, I didn't call. I started scratching at the leaves and he gobbled to it. So I started, started yelping. He gobbled to it. And then I started yelping, cutting and yelping just, you know, and then I just shut it down, waited a little while. And then he gobbled. I could tell he was on the ground. He, he was—he probably landed in that power line right about where I was standing. I could hear hens, one hen up the hill, one hen down the hill. They weren't with him, but they were they were vocal. They were around. And I guess he just decided I was the closest one or I was the most excited or something. But he came down, came in the wood line, and uh, uh, he was 10 yards behind a pine tree gobbling. And I didn't know which side of the pine tree he's going to come out on and... I'm falling apart, shaking, like, 
you know, my eyes are darting left and right each side of the tree. Like, where, where's he going to come? And then he pops out and I, I smoked him. So he was 18 pounds, seven eighth spurs. And, uh, he had beard rot. The longest strand was like five and three quarter inch. I could just tell by his gobble. He was a, he was a Tom. So good morning. Yeah, I'll be back. I'll probably go right back there tomorrow morning because there's there was uh, two or three other birds around the area gobbling. So I didn't blow it up too bad. I scared it out of there clean. Birds are fired up. Um, I can't remember a spring where it opened up and they were just like so willing to come into a call. Like I actually was talking to Jeremy earlier. And he's, he thinks, cause Jeremy's killed, he's killed over a hundred turkeys just with a bow. And then however many he's killed, you know, 150 turkeys. So I figured he'd be the person to ask. And he thinks, and it makes sense that since the snow got out so early, um, a lot of the breeding got done early and the hens are, are kind of, kind of nesting right now. And there seems to be a lot more males, seems to be a lot more toms this year than I can remember. I'm actually seeing a lot more toms than jakes. Usually it's the other way around. <clears throat> but yeah, it, I mean, I've been seeing lone hens for weeks now, just by themselves in a field, you know. So, makes sense. I didn't really get any footage of the... I had my GoPro mounted on the gun, but I didn't have it tight enough. And when I shot, it kind of fell not fell off, but it... It's just not good footage. It was really early. It was I shot him at five thirty, and it's just dark and yeah. That before work stuff is just kind of like, you know, go 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 go. I don't tend to try to mess with a camera, but uh, yeah. So I'm sure there'll be something, something on film this year. I'll quit my rambling here and we'll uh, get in this podcast with Jeremy. Enjoy. All right, we're live. Another episode of Northeast Hunt and Film. Sitting uh, for the, f- what, fourth time? Yeah, it's been a few now. Yep. Going to start to lose count. Yep. Jeremy Ballantyne. Uh, we're going to talk some uh, deer antlers and turkey and spring stuff. Yeah. Probably some deer. Yeah. Elk. Just about my favorite time of the year is all the spring scouting and turkey hunting starting. It's awesome. Awesome time. Yep. You've been putting the miles on, yeah, picking up some bone. Yeah, I've, uh, I don't know, I was around 120 miles in March, somewhere around there. Um, but I had a lot of, I had a lot of free time in March, and it was work is starting to ramp up right now. So I was just trying to take advantage of it all in March, and we had good weather. You know, it's you can read the woods really good right now. So I, uh, I got some stands moved. Made some mock scrapes, um, got some cameras out even early that I won't even look at until November, but just to, it's pretty cool to have cameras out there working anyways. They're not doing anything in the backseat of my truck. So yeah, exactly. Might as well, they still had 80% battery life from last year, so I put a new card in them, put them out. Um, I've got a lot of deer figured out, I'm hoping, from last year. I've got a lot of antlers from target deer that were good three, four-year-olds last year curious to see what they do for a jump this year i mean i got pictures of them and saw them in the fall 
and then know where they wintered. So a lot of pieces of the puzzle put together. Hopefully, uh, I'm curious to see what they do. It was a light winter, so hopefully they yep. put on some inches of antler. Um, yeah, they won't have that stress. Yeah. No, they had. They were still eating acorns in, in March as the snow was melting. So yep. uh, even though the oaks were really spotty, they still had they still had good. I only, I'd only found one dead deer all winter, and I think that one was killed by bobcat you know natural natural predation so smaller one yeah yeah so deer did good um and now we're now we're getting into the turkeys and the turkeys are back in the ridges too they're eating beech nuts and yeah in the in the maple lots as normal but yep. uh, yeah i noticed the plocks are breaking up and you're starting to see like lone birds and stuff i saw a lone long beard last night just all by himself in the middle of a field eating. absolutely that's what i like to see yeah Hopefully they got, you know, you want most of that breeding done in April. So, yeah, it's uh, when they're still in winter groups and it gets into May, that's, that's tough yep. when they got all those hens running around. So it would be nice if this year, a lot of those hens were nesting by the time the season started. I saw one on the side of 91 that looked, she, she's all by herself and there's, you know, that game fence they got, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of brush growing up through it and she was, she was looking in there. Yeah. I don't know if she was looking for for a nesting spot or she might be starting. Yeah, um, they I mean, should that, be. That would be a that would be a good spot because you know coyotes aren't really going to be hanging around there. And yeah, the only thing they got to worry about next to those highways and stuff is you know the the typical nest predators like the possums and skunks and stuff, coons. Yeah. Uh, but you know, hopefully we have a good dry year. I mean, last year was pretty good. At the end of May, you know, hopefully just that rain kind of holds off and it just doesn't yeah. get really cold and wet. Because that freaking wind. Yeah, that screws up the hatch big times so when they're cold and wet. I think a lot of them die. Yeah, they get pneumonia. Yep. <clears throat> but, yeah, I hope, like, last year we had quite a lot of windy days and it just knocks the fun right out of it when oh. you can't. <laughs> yeah, you can't hear nothing. Can't, yeah. They can't hear you. You can't hear them. Yeah. It's just. Yeah, what did I get up at? Two thirty, three o'clock in the morning for yeah. it. Yeah. I should have just slept in and went to work today and saved my energy <clears throat> for another day. Um, but we had that, that bird, uh, Amy missed. It was a cold, snowy, windy day. And I, I'm like, we got to get out of the, off this mountain into the low country or something. Yeah. Just, and I just let out, I cut and yelp real loud, just, and then kind of jokingly put my hand up like this to listen and, I was like, let's go. And we're walking off, and we both stopped. Like, was that a gobble? Or was it a woodpecker? Or yeah. what? Yeah. We both yeah. stopped, looking at each other, and he gobbles again. He was significantly closer. Yeah. I mean, this bird came running mm-hmm. on a day you would not expect. You know, yeah. they're funny like that. But she <laughs> she missed it three times. <laughs> yeah. Well, it happens. There's a lot more air around him than there is in him. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, that was her first year hunting and she, it was during, it was 2020. So she was furloughed from work. She got a lot of, a lot of seat time and learned a lot of lessons. Oh yeah. Not, Absolutely. not shooting early enough, shooting too early. Yep. Yeah. She got, got her first. When per- to move the gun, when yep. not to. Yeah. That first hunt she did was, she did perfectly. That thing, she spotted it before me and he was kind of walking, you know, horizontal in front of us and. He walked behind a tree and she swung up. Yep. He popped out from behind the tree and she rolled him. Yep. I'm like, where did you? You've been hunting for 15 minutes. 
Yeah. Where did you learn that? Yeah. I don't know. She, she's like, I don't know. I just. Yeah. Figured his eyes were covered. I yeah. might as well get away with it. I yeah. was like, well, there's grown men who screw that up. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You get the adrenaline flow and people make bad decisions a lot of times. But, yep. you know, it's, uh, it's fun. I can't wait. I like the later season, to tell you the truth. I like it when there's foliage. Yep. I'm going to try to shoot a few with the bow uh, without a blind. It's fun running and gunning them when you get a little bit of foliage. I tie a bunch of oh, – I go to the craft store. I think it's like Michael's or something, and you can get a bunch of fake – leaves and everything yeah and they're on a bendable wire you can kind of fill your bow with those huh. and it's like having a ground blind right in front of you and you can draw your bow behind that and kind of hide behind it while the bird's coming in and that's a lot of fun for huh. late, especially late season when you get some foliage you can get away with it yep right now you know early season when you got no foliage especially once it gets early morning it doesn't matter or an overcast day but man if the sun's shining yeah there's like shade is a premium in the woods there's none of it yeah, you know this, and it's real, and it's real hard to get covered up because you got nothing to hide behind. So, yeah, and they got to be in the wide open with a bow. Yeah, yeah, and I got to do, I got to draw, I got to do, you know, so uh, yeah. bust bust a couple early with the twenty eight gauge, and then try to shoot some with the bow later on. Yeah, when when we get some foliage, that'll yep. be fun. <clears throat> but I'm still looking for, I'm still going to be looking for antlers for a while. I still got mm-hmm. a few deer that I'm trying to find antlers from, and. I'll probably go up to, uh, my plan is to go to Maine, northern New Hampshire, somewhere around there, and just tent right at the truck and try to find some moose antlers once the snow melts. Yep. I'd like to find a couple good paddles. Um, and I'm getting more and more into that than turkey hunting every year, but the turkeys are fun too. But I yeah, well, you've, you've killed what, 100 of them or something? I've killed a pile, a lot of them with a bow too, but killed a pile of them. But I like turkey meat, so yeah, I'm gonna try to shoot three or four of them this year too. Yeah, I didn't get out west this year, but that Nebraska trip is really Nebraska and South Dakota is super fun. Yeah, end, end of March, beginning of April. I'm gonna try to make it next year. It's uh, you can hunt them all day, so you can hunt them in the morning. You can go walk some river bottoms midday, pick up a pile of antlers because there's deer everywhere, and then uh, hunt them again in the afternoon. Get them roosted. If you don't get a good setup on them in the afternoon, at least then you know where they're roosted for the next morning. Yep. And uh, you can shoot three long beards. And that part of Nebraska is pretty fun because it's you get the hybrid from Merriam's and Rio's. So you can have birds strutting. You can see birds of every color. You yep. can see a Merriam's white all the way to eastern brown. You know, it's it's pretty cool. So Yeah, they're not 100% Merriam's. Yeah, right. they're all mixed up with everything. You know, you'll shoot some that are that are classic Merriam's colors, but uh, most of the ones you're shooting are hybrid. They're all mixed up. Uh, they're beautiful birds. Yeah, we want we want to get out there next year too. It's fun. This year is just you know, I kind of decided it decided late anyways. But you know, with the price of fuel and yeah and all that, it's just. Might be worse next year. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't. Who? Everything's kind of up in the air right now. Yeah. Um. But everything with me lined up. I had to meet with people for work and everything in April, and I just had the way the way all my work fell and everything. I just I had more time throughout the whole month of March, and then once it got to be the first part of that season was going to open. I think it's the twenty eighth that starts. That's when all my I got busy again. So. 
if I just pounded the timber in March and got all my deer, all my work for deer hunting done. If you were to pick a week to go out there, what's like the ideal? Well, the first couple weeks are archery only. Like the first, oh, really? the first week or two is archery only before any shotguns start. And they're, um, they're, they're still pretty flocked up. They're still really bunched up, but, but it's, you can peel them away. You can call, you know, you can, you can still peel them away, find isolated birds. And we've, you know, with the right setup, we've had 20 birds come in at once. You know, it's, it's all up in the air, but I mean, there's just, there's, it's all cattle country and there's a lot of turkeys. It's, uh, it's just fun. And then finding the sheds is just a cool bonus. So probably well. like mid April. Mid April is awesome. Yeah. And you can hunt them all the way into May. Yeah. I mean, their, their spring season is really long, especially you get up, then you get up into South Dakota and you can go up into the Black Hills. I don't know when their season is, but you got one tag to start with in South Dakota and then you can go to the Black Hills a little bit later. I think it's April 15th or 10th, somewhere in that neighborhood out of the sea. Huh. But you could shoot, you go out there and you could shoot three in Nebraska and then you could go up and shoot two in South Dakota and then head home before anything's even close to starting here, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I want to do it for sure. It's people, fun. People look at me funny, like you're going to go, like it's a turkey. They're around here. Like, yeah. Well, it's not, you know, it sounds cliche, but I'm not really chasing the bird. Yeah. Kind of chasing the adventure. Yeah. I like, to, I like to get away from home. Yeah. Yeah. See some new shit, yeah. you know? If I'm, uh, if I'm hunting around here, the, you know, you can't get away from the cell phone. You can try to leave it in the truck if you want, but yeah. like, you know, you look at it and there's calls from work, there's calls from who you know, and you're close by. So they know you, you know, you're yeah. not out of town. Yep. If I'm out of town, I'm just like, I'm out of town. I can't help you. You know, I can't. <laughs> so it's just, a, it's better to have a vacation. It's not all about just killing a turkey. It's just yeah, getting, it's... getting out of town in the spring and enjoying it and finding sheds. There's mule deer and whitetails running around. So you have the chance of finding a shed from either. Yeah. Or even seeing, like, I've never seen a mule deer. Yeah. It's cool. Know? It's great. I love driving out West. I go every <laughs> chance I get. So, except for this year, I didn't get out there, but. Well, maybe you'll draw that Iowa tag. Absolutely. I got five points. I, I'm planning on hunting <clears throat> Iowa. Is there a, obviously it's a point system, but does it get to a certain point where they just five give you a tag? Five is like. You're, you're gonna, getting a tag. You're going to get a tag. It was a really good chance of me getting one last year with four, but I didn't get drawn. But I know probably three different people that drew with four tags, four four points last year. So I'm I'm guaranteed one pretty much with five this year. So I've been, you know, looking at the maps, figuring out public and out of the way access spots, and there's some there's some good looking spots. So I'm, I think I'm going to take a kayak and. Stay there until I either fill a tag or I get sick of it. One or the other. Yeah. Go out the end of uh, last week of October, and you know it's taken me well five years to get the license. So I'm going to put in some time. Yep, absolutely. That's why I worked so hard in March getting everything situated and all the states back here because I get all my spring scouting done. I can get back from Iowa. You know, I may be back as early as the beginning of November. I may be back mid-November, um, but I know I'll be able to hit the ground running. Once I get back home in Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, whatever, because I've done a ton of scouting and I got a bunch of cameras out already, but the spring scouting is, is key. I've done a lot of that this year, so I'm feeling pretty good and there's some good bucks still alive and it should be a good year. 
I'm excited. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> I haven't been out as much as I would have liked to, but still some time. Got to look for antlers. and. Yeah, it's not going to green up until mid-May. Yeah. May 10th or so. High elevations. High elevations, you got even longer. You got to the third week of May, so you got tons of time. You got a month still. Yeah. Yeah, before the... But as soon as that horse flies carry uh, away, yeah, so you get the insects and stuff to deal with. But the uh, man, as soon as that snow melts, that's like my favorite time to hit the mountains. It's there's nothing like it. It's just, it's awesome. Find those antlers before the porcupines and squirrels do. Yep, you know, coyotes carry them around, play with them. Absolutely, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. There's one deer I'm trying to match up, and I'm done. I've put so many miles in trying to find that other side. I, I, I'm pretty convinced something else has carried the antler off. Whether so, person or dog. Yeah, I don't think it's a person. I haven't seen any sign of a human up there, but uh, I'm pretty sure a coyote carried it off. Or he ended up, you know, I got him walking by, I got him walking by the camera. I know he shed right around January 15th because I left a camera in there. I got him walking by. The morning of January 15th with both sides on. And then I got him walking by. He had, a, you know, the coloration on him and everything. I can tell it's the same deer. And he's walking back by a day later with nothing on his head. So I, and then he's walking by day after day. He's kind of on a feed to bed pattern in the middle of winter there. So I know it's not like he had one side for a week. Right. And carried one side for a long time. <clears throat> and where I found that one was right in the middle of a food source, right in the middle of the oaks. And I have scoured that whole side hill. I don't know what he could have done. I know he lost them both probably the same day. It's just, I think something picked up one of those antlers or, or I mean, this, this is the times that makes me want to have a shed dog. Yeah. I just wanted to match that deer up because it'd be cool to have his match set and kill him. Yeah. You know, that's the goal this year is to kill one of these deer that I got the match set from. I found found two nice match sets and one one half. Um, and then there's a couple other deer that I was hunting last year. I couldn't figure out where they wintered. So I don't know where the hell their antlers are. But Yeah. So is that kind of the, the strategy? Like, are you kind of monitoring <clears throat> where they are in the winter and then you just grade the feeding areas or, or bedding areas? Yeah, bedding, looking for bedding is like if I can w- figure out what the food source is, where they were feeding, you know, from the end of December until, you know, the snow starts to melt the very beginning of March. Um, and this year the oaks were really spotty, and I'm finding most of my antlers in the bedding. Because the deer were kind of, they're kind of, they got an established bedding area, but they're filtering out from there and they're doing a lot of browsing. Like you find a hemlock that blew down in the middle of the winter. That thing is orange right now. There's no bark on it. They ate every bit of green off of it. So those deer, when I see that, I know they weren't, you know, solely eating acorns. You know, these deer were eating everything that they could because there was just, there was browse. There was very spotty acorns. So they were walking around a lot. It's really hard to match up the antlers this year it seems like they were in they they were just real spread out on the mountain so um i just like to put another piece of the puzzle together you know i find his antlers i know he survived and then through spring scouting i don't find him dead on that side hill so if he made it into the spring 
to now, he's healthy. He's he's good to go. Now I got, you know, spots where I'm probably going to pick him up in the summer. Try to get some pictures of him in the summer, so I got an idea how big he's going to be, what kind of a jump he does, and then I know where a lot of these bucks are going to be in the fall because I got pictures of him working scrapes the end of October, all through November, and one of these bucks I actually saw on Thanksgiving Day, so I know a lot about these deer. I just hopefully they got some big bone on their head this year, which they should. They should. So it's uh, it's exciting to follow them along like that. Yeah. Yeah, that historical data is is paramount. I mean, when yeah, I found a to lot know. less sheds. I found a lot less sheds this year than I normally find because the deer didn't migrate. Like none of these deer shifted more than two or three miles on that mountain. It seemed like in a lot of these spots where I found sheds, and a lot of years previous, there'd be a ton of acorns, and we'd get substantial snow, three or four feet. And a lot of times I'll be picking up sheds from deer that don't live within 10 miles of there. Yeah. But this year it wasn't the case. This year you this year is probably as close as I've seen in a little while where you can find a shed and you can probably kill that deer right about where you found the shed because they didn't move all that far from where they were Thanksgiving, you know, at, once it got to be post rut, <coughs> post rut these deer didn't move very far. A lot of these deer that I'm that I'm looking for now. They didn't really move very far from where they were post rut. And yeah. a lot of times they're migrating big time. Once it gets to be mid December, these deer are, you know, five, six, seven miles from where they were pre rut. Yep. And it just wasn't the case this year. They yeah, didn't move as far. They didn't have to. Yeah. You know, we never really got, we had quite a bit of cold, but they didn't we never really, really con- got deep snow. They didn't congregate like they normally did either. You know, there's not like some of these yards I would walk into and they'd be. <coughs> 30 40 plus deer in there this year it was maybe 15 in some in there and you could find several spots on the mountain where they were balled up like that there were no more than a dozen deer so it just wasn't the you know when there's a ton of acorns they can they can all ball up on one south facing slope but this year they couldn't there just wasn't the food and they they just stayed spread out so it's just a little tougher finding sheds but but mainly I was in there spring scouting just to get everything dialed in and trying to find out stuff that I missed from last year. And uh, that's the funnest part is figuring out stuff when you start to find different bet, you know, another bedding area or walk a different side of the mountain. You know, you're looking at the map. You're like, oh, I've never walked that section. Now is the time to do it. You can walk right in there and doesn't matter. You're walking right in that buck's bedroom. It doesn't matter. You can walk in there. Oh, look at that. No, that buck's been bedding right in. Look at all the rubs. You can see where he's bedding. You can figure that stuff out, and then you can, you know, have that marked on a map. And that more stuff you're starting to put together on the map and logging it and all the little notes that you take, man, then you can step back and kind of pan back on that mountain, and you're like, wow, all right, now I just just figured another piece out. And that's like that goes along with, like, that three-year plan. You know, in like three years, you really start to dial in a mountain. And uh, I'm really starting to dial a couple of them in now. So now it's just a matter of keeping tabs on those mountains until there's a giant running around on it, you know. And if I have to follow some of these deer around for two or three years and find yep. their sheds, and that's that's all part of it. Just keep searching different mountains and trying to find a big one and wait till some of these are big enough. Do you find that that's a good indication of a, a buck's bedding area is 
you know, in some real thick laurel or something and there's just rubs everywhere. Yeah. Like when I find a buck bed, it's a lot of times it's, it's in a real strategic spot where you see, you couldn't really approach him from very many places and kill him yeah. easily. He's got real good escape routes and you know, you can, I pay attention to the ones where he's bedding on the, the leeward side of the hill for the predominant wind directions. Cause a lot of times I'm hunting in North or West winds. So a lot of those bedding areas are the ones that I'm really trying to seek out. Cause that's kind of the weather we get most November. Um, but it's also important to try to find the bedding areas where he'd be, let's say we get a string of south wind. You know, that's like the hardest wind for me to hunt is most of my setups, my approach, everything is really screwed up with a south wind. So if, if the more of those bedding areas you can find that even if you don't know if it's a buck bedding or doe bedding, if you can just mark it as known bedding areas, it's really helpful for your approach and for your exit. And if you're moving around midday, moving stands so you don't bump them. The bedding areas are just something I want to know where they are. Yep. So I don't have to walk in there during the season. I don't want to walk, you know, if I want to crowd it, that's fine. But I know just about where those deer are going to be bedded on that hill. And uh, that that knowledge is, is <clears throat> that knowledge is power. It really, really lets you, you know, gives you a big advantage over anybody else that's trying to kill those deer. Yeah, I, I was scouting, a, I think it was two weekends ago. Um, place I'm trying to learn more. I just went to, you know, just slowly picking sections of woods, you know, until I got the whole thing covered. Yep. I went in this one section right off the road. I see a rub going a little further, see a scrape, you know, open hardwood scrape, probably just a one-time deal. Yeah. So I got in walking around the laurel where it's thick, seeing all these rubs and then <clears throat> look up ahead and there's this giant dugout scrape yep. under a hemlock tree right in the just thick as hell all around it yep. i said yep you probably kill this one there is, the end of october <laughs> this is worth paying attention to yeah those are good ones to put a camera on yep you know even and there's if, perfect trees yeah perfect trees to hunt out of the saddle like yeah right right 15 yards from it like you couldn't ask for anything better it's those those primary scrapes like that are you know if you can't hunt them there like if they're not coming there during daylight at least it gives you a great inventory of what's there. Yep. It's a good, it's a great inventory camera to have there. Yep. What direction they're coming from. And yeah. Just know what there is for bucks alive on there. You know, it's, that's super valuable information and incentive to get up and hike your ass in there. You know? Yeah. You know, there's a 140 buck running around on that hill. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to get motivated to walk in there when it's single digit temperatures or whatever, you yeah. know, just long walk. It doesn't matter you know what's there yep. you know that's the whole that's what i use cameras for is mainly inventory let me know they're there those big mountains like that it's kind of yeah i've never been able to pattern a buck like he's there every single day right. i've had some deer over there that you know they'll hit a scrape three times a week maybe but it's like uh you know it's like steve shirk talks about those the three-day plan I totally agree with that 100%. Like you're hunting a big buck on a mountain like that. It, you may have to hunt that stand three days before you kill him. Yeah. You know, it, before he even comes through. Makes his rounds. Yeah. You sit there one or two days and you're like, ah, oh, he's, you know, this, this isn't working out. It's like, well, he might not even be on that side hill. He's He's got a circuit he's making, you know. He, the deer aren't using that part of the mountain that day. You know, you got to give it, you got to give it three or four days. That's why having a, 
you know, that clean entrance and exit is key. Then you can do that. You can hunt that stand three or four times in a row if you got a good clean entrance and exit. Because those does figure out you're in there, then you're done. You know, that's because yeah, if they leave, there's no reason for him yeah. to. Yeah. And it seems like the bigger the mountain, those deer that are in those big woods, they deal with pressure a lot less than an urban deer. Like an urban deer, he's smelling humans every day of his life. Yeah. You know, those those big woods bucks, you got to They be, won't tolerate it as much. They don't tolerate it, yeah, at all. Um, it takes him a while to forgive it. It seems like, yeah. you know, when I when I put a camera in, I treat it as though it's a tree stand, like I've hunted it. You know, I go in there on days when it's pouring rain. Someday when I know I can get away with it, when, when I can go in, if I got to go in there and check it, I can go in there and check it without messing it up. Because if I walk in there and check a camera, that's just like me going in there and hanging a stand and hunting yeah, it. They don't know the they, difference. It's the same amount of scent, you know. It's uh, That's how I view it, so... They're, yeah. not, they're not sitting there going, nah, well, he's just checking a camera. He didn't, he didn't have a weapon on Yeah, him. they don't know. No. Yeah, no. You're in there. They're scared. Yeah. Like, and that's the problem with hunting around like a, uh, you know, around apple orchards and clear cuts around here is because there's a lot of bird hunters. Yeah. You know, you could have a buck dialed in where you know he's bedding in this one cut. Well, you don't know if someone went bird hunting and banging a shotgun off in there during the day, you know, and you go in there in the afternoon trying to kill that deer and you're like, oh, he's just not here. Well, he's just not there that day. He got bumped out of there by bird hunters. Right. Maybe three or four days before he's back in there. But They will come back if their escape tactic worked. Yeah. Well, they can hear the bird hunters coming a mile away, too, and they just yeah. avoid them because they're not like a – they're not viewing them as a predator. Right. You know, it's just it, – I think they view that kind of stuff totally different, like hikers and stuff. But, but still, the scent shouldn't be in some of those sensitive areas. So that's why when I, when I go in there in the spring and I find those bedding areas, man, it's nice if – I don't ever have to walk in there again unless I'm mm-hmm. following his blood trail. That's pretty much that's pretty much the only time I'm walking in there is the spring. Um, yeah, because you could blow every deer off that mountain; it don't matter. Yeah, yeah. You got a good if you got a good bedding area dialed in. It's just it's nice to know exactly where it is and how the winds relating to it, and you know it gives you a better idea if there's oaks all over this one mountain, but you know where he's bedding. You're gonna have an idea how he's gonna come out of that bedding cover. Uh, and how he's going to go back into it in the mornings. Uh, it just gives you a better idea how those deer are using the mountain. So when you're when you're scouting in the spring, you're finding those bedding areas, looking for sheds, all that. But how are you hunting those in the fall? Like, obviously you don't want to go in the middle of it. Yep. So are you trying to find the scrapes on the outside edges? See a lot of those or bu- travel routes. Yeah, or- a lot of those. Bu- I'm trying to find the last scrape before I kind of before it gets into that cover. But a lot of times during the, I like to know where that buck is bedding. But once it, I don't crowd it because I'm not hunting them during a food pattern. I'm mainly hunting these bucks during pre rut when they're starting to work those scrapes. So a lot of times I'm trying to hunt them in relation to how they're running that scrape line and keeping the bedding in mind. The thermals play a huge role in in how i set up on them because a lot of times those thermals are dropping first thing in the morning so it's real tricky to try to kill that deer at first light when he's returning to that bedding area because he the thermals are dropping and a lot of times they're bedding on the upper third of that mountain a lot of times when that deer's walking he's got the thermals in his favor walking into that bedding area and then once he's bedding the thermals can change and they're coming right up the mountain right to him so it's really hard to set directly below that 
that bedding area because he's going to catch you. It seems like. So I try to find a pinch point on the same level as that bed where he's going to be heading to the bed or I'll figure out where the, like once he gets closer to the rut, I'm then concentrating on the outskirts of the doe bedding. And then I know about where the buck bedding is and how the bucks are going to go from point A to point B or from doe bedding to doe bedding. And that's when I start concentrating on those, you know, those spots in between doe bedding and pinch points. Uh, But that pre-rut, a lot of times I'm trying to find a primary scrape that I know I can kill him that's close to his bedding area that I can get into that's bulletproof. That I have the the thermals are either pulling my scent off of a steep drop off or, you know, in the evenings when the thermals come down, if there's a waterway or something, it's going to pull your scent right to that waterway and drag it right off the mountain right in that waterway. So trying to find a stand site where you can cut him off where you have an advantage. You got to have an edge. And just crowding his bedding area sometimes doesn't work if the terrain doesn't dictate you can get away with it. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. it's like a lot of situ- a lot of situations I can't crowd him, crowd his bedding area because I don't have enough of an advantage. It's too thick leading up to it, and he can get he can get my wind easy enough. So sometimes that's why I like it pre rut when they start moving a little bit more in daylight, and I can get a little bit further away from his bedding area. And, you know, they're on their feet in daylight a little bit more. Still catch them in daylight. Yeah. Because some of those deer just have a, if they're, especially if they're a five-year-old deer, they've got a bulletproof setup in those mountains. They're really tough to kill. And uh, pretty much the only way that you could approach him is at the same level as him on that side hill without having him having some sort of a wind advantage. Because a lot of these deer that I'm hunting are bedding in that top third of the hill so that you got the wind coming off the top of the mountain and it has that swirling effect right about mm-hmm. where he is. And then you got the thermals. If the sun's hitting that side hill, the thermals are dragging some scent up the hill. So he's just got so many advantages. It's really tough to, to crowd the bedding area in those mountains I've found for me. Um, so I kind of concentrate on pinch points that are, you know, maybe 200 yards away from that bed somewhere where the terrain will give me an edge. Yeah. 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 Cause like you said, you can't, I mean, there's some spots that would be good to kill a deer in, yeah. but you can't kill them there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know. And it's usually spots that have a ton of sign. Yeah. And the reason he's making a ton of sign there is because he feels super comfortable there because he can smell everything. He can, you know, he's, he knows he's got it. He yep. knows he's got every advantage there. That's why he's laying all that sign down. You know, he's, he just, he's spending a ton of time there. I just, need, the, I just need him to spend five seconds uh, right yeah. in front of the stand and then whack, he's dead. So I just need to figure out where where is he vulnerable. And usually where he's vulnerable, he's not laying down a ton of sign. It's just a little teeny pinch point that he's cruising through yeah. to, get, to get to where he's making more sign. I mean, a classic example was like I killed that big five this year and I had my cousins come in to help me drag him out. And my one cousin was just like, you know, this area doesn't, I don't even know what made you set up here. There's Mm -hmm. like hardly any sign here. And I'm like, well, if you'd put everything together, like I've walked this whole place in the spring, I've got everything out. This is the best place out of all this. I mean, yeah, you can go down the ridge a half mile. You can go up the ridge a half, three quarters of a mile and it's loaded with sign, but you can't kill him there with how the wind is. He, I know he's going through this little teeny finger. And it's a little teeny strip of cover. 
and he's kind of there's multiple factors pinching him together that are really subtle like you can't see him unless it's no foliage and it's springtime and you can go in there and i can i i I figured that out and i was just banking on it and i shot him at nine o'clock in the morning he was heading to his bed did you have a camera right there i never got a picture of him right there but i got pictures of him a half mile either side of it. And you just figured. But I couldn't I couldn't get the wind right where I was getting pictures of him. I just had the cameras there to let me know he was alive. And I was like, the only place that I can kill him, or, or the reason that I wasn't killing him in the other spots is because he was smelling me. And he was just avoiding me. Because I think the deer is, you know, he's six plus years old. I haven't got the age back yet. But some of them big bucks on those public chunks, they just avoid hunters. And they can ju- they, they just smell them and they can just avoid them. And it's in and ninety percent of those spots on public land, people are hunting where there's tons of sign. Well, they're not factoring in the the thermals and just the way the wind is blowing, but the the thermals and the way the terrain will treat your scent and how it moves. If people aren't calculating that in, those deer are pegging you, and those six and a half year old bucks aren't going to stand down there and blow like a doe. No, you're never going to know if you get pegged. They're just going to. You're screw. never going to know it. You're just, it, you're not going to, you're just like, oh, I didn't see him today. Well, that deer just figured you out. And it's, and you, it's just a matter of, you got to keep screwing up before you figure out how to really read it. And, uh, that's what I'm slowly learning. I'm getting better every year at it, but, uh, it's just, there's some spots that, man, it just makes you want to hang a stand right away, but there's no way that you can hunt it without getting busted. And just, that's that just comes with experience trying to figure you know being able to recognize those spots when you see them because they're traps they're 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 terrible traps i mean it's it can look phenomenal and you're just like man i'm walking it over in the spring and i'm like there's no way that i could get in here first off the first thing i look at is entrance and exit i'm like how in the hell would i get in here and hunt this without spooking every deer on this i couldn't I'm, i'm walking through multiple food sources or i'm I got to really walk real, real close to that bedding area, getting in here. I'm going to bump too many deer coming in here and I don't, and I'm going to be putting tracks everywhere where I know deer are going to be walking. So it's like that, that takes a stand site right off the map for me right away. If I got no clean entrance and exit, that's the first thing that I eliminate. And the second thing is how am I protected with what kind of a wind and what are the thermals doing here? That's the second one. If I'm like, well, well you, I can be bulletproof on a north or a west wind, and man, even if the thermals are screwing with me right here, I got a bank where I can set up on the edge of that bank, and it can drag my scent off the mountain, and there's like no deer sign down there. Those deer, because of this creek flowing off the mountain or something, or it's real ledgy, those deer aren't walking below me. I'm going to be fine right there. I got 250, 300 yards of safe travel that my scent can go there i'm not going to booger any deer i could hunt i could kill that deer right here and there may not be very much scent there very much sign but he's going through there you can see his track or you can just look at it on a map and you can figure out well he's got to go through there he's just he's just walking through there he's not hooking his horns anywhere through there he's not laying scrapes down but he's going through there to get to point a to point b that's a hell of a spot to try to kill him and you can always start off there and if it's not working, then you can try to get more aggressive with them as yep. the season goes. But I try to find those spots where I, I'm somewhat aggressive on trying to kill him, but I'm, I'm also trying to be safe so I can hunt as long as I can, hunt that buck, because I don't want him moving somewhere else on the mountain. So, Will you go as far as like wind mapping with like milkweed 
see how the the thermals are pulling it. Yeah, a lot of times, I, yeah, out of a stand once I get up there to the height, because it all depends on how high you are in the tree, too. Yep. Sometimes you need to be a touch higher. But uh, there was one stand that I had when I got really high. The sun would hit me on that hill before it would get down low, and I could drop a piece of milkweed, and it would drop like four feet, and it would go right back up, and it would go higher than I was in the stand, and you could see it head right off the mountain. But if you were low, you were probably seven eight feet lower than that you drop that milkweed there's no sun hitting you there and that that milkweed would just drop right down the mountain wicked low it would hit that cold snap still and it was still pulling down off the mountain but you know i knew that i could get in that stand and i would be safe like an hour after daylight so i was never in a hurry to get to some of those pinch points because i'd get there right at right at the crack of daylight and set up and i'm like you know, the deer aren't going to be here until mid-morning anyhow because the bedding area is right there. I'm, I'm pretty close to the bedding area, just a couple hundred yards. But I, I don't need to be there in the dark because if a deer happens to come below me in the dark, it's definitely going to smell me. I really want the sun to be hitting this side hill so the thermals are good. So I don't, I don't want to be in that stand in the dark. So, and, then the, and then there's some where it's safe, where you can be there in the total dark and yep. sit there till you know, the afternoon. And then when the thermal switch in the afternoon, it's real hard to find a stand you can sit in all day and be safe. Unless it's a total ridgetop stand where, you, where you've got consistent wind. Yeah. But with the, the hills and valleys and stuff like that, you've got your scent. You know, you've got a, you got a big risk of it going everywhere. Yep. So. Yeah, you just got to hope that, <clears throat> like you said, it's just a brief encounter. Yeah. I just, want him, I just want him passing through. I don't need to know, I don't need to be sitting in a stand where he's going to be, you know, making three or four scrapes in front of me or, yeah, or he's going to be eating on acorns or he's going to be bedded, you know, 50 yards away from me. I don't, I don't want to be anywhere near those right there where those spots are. I want to kill him where he's just passing through because if he's, I, the way I look at it, if he's just passing through there, he knows that that's a vulnerable spot for him and he's just, He's just cruising through there. There may not be anything attractive right there. No good trees for him to make a rub. You know, it, it, those are the spots that I look for to kill him. And those are the spots that are overlooked by like 99% of people, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because there isn't the sign. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah. like you said, if he knows he's out in the wide open, he's not going to stop and make a rub. He's just... Yeah, he's just, I just want to know where he's walking through. And with, and with cameras, I can figure out if I can put a point A and a point B together and they're less than a mile apart, I can find that point in the middle where I can kill them. You know, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that that point in between where I know he is point A and where I know he is point B. I'm trying to find out where in between there is he the most vulnerable. And it may not be there. You may need to find a point C where, he, you know, it, those two points, he may not have a spot where he's real vulnerable right there, but you can try to pick him up where he's going in a different spot where there's, you know, there's another doe bedding area or something like that. Some of them deer are just, they, they've got a, the reason they're six plus years old is they've got a hell of a spot. And the good thing is, is once you figure it out and you kill one there, it's like a vacuum. There's going to be another big buck in there, but it yep. may take five or six years. And guess what? That buck is probably going to be doing the same thing that one was doing. So that's the fun part is figuring it out. And, uh, and some of those deer, like in Vermont, some of those spots are bulletproof. Like I couldn't figure out where to kill some of these Vermont deer that I've killed tracking. 
So, I, I mean, I would be in there pulling my hair out trying to shoot that deer out of a stand, and I couldn't do it. And I get snow on the ground. I have that deer dead by 8, 8.30 in the morning. So it's like I just needed to be able to know exactly where he was in front of me and track him and kill him. So yep. I think some of those bucks just live in areas where that's the best way to kill him is tracking him. And there's some that you can find that you can kill out of a stand. So I, that's why I, I work my ass off all spring so I can try to figure out my stand sites because you can't count on tracking snow. Nope. So if I can, if I can figure it out enough spots where I can get good, reliable stand sites in, I'll be hunting him out of a stand. And then if I get tracking snow, boom, I, I know a lot about that deer. Finding his track is easy. I can walk in there and find his track and... Then he's in serious trouble if it's gun season and tracking snow. So, yeah, a good windy day. Yeah, if if everything falls together, man, you got good snow. That's it's the most aggressive way to kill a whitetail. I mean, you're walking right into his bedroom, or you're right yeah. on his you're right on his heels. You don't got to worry about bumping him. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna you, I'm gonna bump him. If you bump guaranteed, him, if you bump him, you know how old that track is now. Yeah. I mean, I say guaranteed. I mean, there's if you're tracking him during, the, I hate tracking him during the rut. Because yeah, you can get on a buck that's just like on a highway and you never catch up to him. But, but those, uh, I like bow hunting them all through the rut because they're on their feet a lot. And if they're on their feet a lot, you can find a funnel to kill them in. You just got to be patient. You just got to hunt it smart. And uh, once it gets to be post rut, that's when I'm really inclined to get out of a stand if we get snow. I'm just like, oh, there's a gun season in one of these states. I'll go find yep. one of those big bucks that I know about. I'm going to go track him. Yep. And, uh, and tracking is just a good break from sitting in a stand for eight, ten hours a day, too. Yeah, exactly. You know, you've been you've been sitting your ass off in the stand trying to kill bucks, and then all of a sudden we get five, six inches of snow on the ground. Boy, it feels nice to stretch the legs and go yep. do something totally different. And uh, and to me, it's the most exciting way to kill a deer is tracking them. I lo- I love the just the the lack of shit you got to bring. Yeah. You oh, absolutely. A yeah, you're pack bare minimum. <laughs> Yeah. You wool and you just go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and the whole story is laid out in front of you. Like if I was as excited the whole time I'm sitting in a stand as I was tracking a big buck, like this past year in Vermont with, you know, with the antler marks in the snow and yeah, he'd dig up ferns and you'd see the antler marks in the snow. And that was a hell of a day It was just too. like, it was just like, man, if you were that excited, you couldn't sit in a stand for more than three or four days. You'd be mentally exhausted sitting yep. there all that pumped up the whole time. Uh, I get all excited just talking about it, man. It's just so much fun tracking deer, but, and, and tracking them, you can learn a ton. Like I can, you can find those, those spots you're talking about. Absolutely. I'll map out where, you know, when I track that deer and jump him that first time, that first time that I jumped him in, that's a real valuable bed to have marked and go back there in the spring and look at that. Why was that deer bedded there? Go look at it with no snow on the ground, no foliage, and then just sit right down in that deer's bed and look at look at what he was looking at when you were coming up that hill and everything. And you'll just, you, the more of those, the more big buck beds that you know are big buck beds, it seems like that you crouch down in and you sit there and you look at it. The more of them you look at, the easier it'll be for you to identify them. Yeah. And I just don't think people take the time to do that. Like you just got to go back in there in the spring and look at it. Cause it's a different world in the spring. You can, it's, it's just so much easier for me to see exactly why they did what they did. And there's a reason he did what he did. It's, you've got to go back in there and see it in the spring. Yep. So, it's fun. 
That's I, I love the whole thing from start to finish. There's, there's so much to learn. I mean, I learn so much every year. You're never going to have it figured out. No. But you can just keep putting all the mistakes together because that's what it is. That's the only way you learn is by making a mistake. And uh, you put all those mistakes together and then just try not to make them another time. Yeah. You know, and it's, and I love the whole process. It's fun. Yeah. And you're, you'll repeat, <laughs> you know, you're like, why am I doing this? I know, I know better than to be doing this. Yeah. Well, this, the, the reason the learning curve, I think with tracking is such a slap in the face is because you see it all happen right there in the snow. <clears throat> yep. I think it's a slower process to learn out of a stand because you never know when you bumped that deer. You, you know, that buck's not letting you know. It's not like he yells up through the woods. Yeah. Hey, gotcha. I smelled you. You know, he's not. Yeah. Those big bucks aren't going to sit down there and blow at you out of a stand. I've never, I personally have never seen a big buck just stand there and blow at me like no. a doe. Like when, when I see a buck coming by my stand and I see him catch my wind, you know, he's within 80 yards or whatever. And I see him catch my wind. The reaction is always exactly the same. Eyeballs bug out of their head. They just look right in that direction, right where you are. They shoop, turn right around, and they're gone. And they don't make a sound. They're gone. He, d- he does not advertise that he figured you out. He doesn't need to. He's just like, you're never going to know when you bump that buck. And uh, and I think with you know with tracking, when you screw up, well, you're, you're looking at the whole story unfolding right in the snow. So yep. it's, it's a little easier to know when you've screwed up when you're tracking. So. Oh. That that big one I screwed up on in New Hampshire, he blew at me once real quick. Yeah. But that was because I just simply surprised him. I walked yeah. right up on him. Yeah. Usually you get like, one, or two, one or two short ones in that situation, and that's because yep. you're walking onto him. It's totally right. different than them walking onto your setup, I think. Yeah. Because he, he, wasn't, he wasn't smelling me. Yeah. I just scared the shit out of them. Yeah, they get moose and bears and all sorts I was of looking, stuff walking into them, you know, but when they when they smell you, a human sitting somewhere. Yeah, they're just like, whoop. Yeah, everything's all quiet. So they're not going to make any they're just going to slip out of there. Yep. Gone. Okay, I know he's right up there. They know exactly where you are when they smell you. You know, it's just It's a fun uh That one still hurts. Oh, that was a that was a giant <laughs> giant buck. He, it's got to hurt because that's the only way you yeah. get it ingrained into memory. So well, you, the the you problem know. with that, and I, and I I talked to Timmy about it too, and he's like he's like, dude, he's like, you should have you should have been ready. He's like, you were you were you had the right idea because I was looking, I knew I was close to him, I was looking for his J hook. Yeah, and he didn't. He just it was it was the second to last day of rifle season in New Hampshire. He was just tired. He just yeah. walked. He just bedded right in his yeah, tracks. Just absolutely. plopped down. Yep. In a stupid spot too. Yeah. And I just, I'm looking left and right. I hear him blow, and as soon as I figured out where it was coming from, he was bounding away. Yeah. With at least ten points. Yeah. You know, big wide. And, and that just, just that just comes with you know what you you'll not, he, you just get those feelings when you're tracking them. After a he while, said, you'll you'll acquire it. He said you should have. You should have been, you should have had that gun shouldered yeah. and you should have been ready because, you know, I, I explained to him like his feet are all real close together. You could tell right. he's browsing or he's, yeah. he's really he was, walking He was slow. heading up that hill to go bed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's like, he's like, when I see that stuff, he's like, 
my hair stands up on the back of my neck and it doesn't come down until I've pulled the trigger. Yeah. He's like, cause I know it's, I got my it finger, be, I got my finger right against the safety. Yep. I'm all, I'm all ready. That gun is like, I'm standing at the skeet range. Yep. Like I'm ready when I'm slipping along. But I just, you know, again, just, just making mistakes, but that's the number one mistake. Because I've been J hook yeah. so many times, yeah. I'm like, you're not getting me this time, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, if if it's steep terrain and I see a buck doing that and he's kind of heading, I'll try to stay above his track nine times out of ten. You know, if he's if he's cutting along a side hill because that's the number one time they'll catch you. So you'll be going along a side hill and all of a sudden you'll see where his track just goes ninety degrees up the hill and he's he's already got you. So I mean, I have I've seen I've. Mainly it's in woods that I know really well, but I'll, I'll know he's heading to a bedding area. I will cut off his track and approach that bedding area from a different way. And I mean, I have caught him standing on the bench. I've caught him in their beds and shot him that way. But when you don't know the woods, like you're hunting a stranger, yeah. you know, and you're in a, in a you're in a big chunk of woods. It's hard to leave the track. It's, it, you can't leave the track. I, you can't cut unless you really know the woods yeah. for me anyways. Yeah, and I, that, I've that never case. had it. I've only cut. I've only cut off the track when I knew the woods really well, and I thought I was ninety nine percent sure what that deer was doing, and uh, that's when that's when I cut off the track. But other than that, you can miss subtleties when you cut off the track and lose a lot of time. You know, you can think he's cutting up the hill, and he didn't. He just went up the hill ten yards and did some browsing, and then went right back. Right back and yep. He's still plowing right along on that side hill and you're up there poking along thinking he's going to be bedded right you know you're looking for him down off the bank wasting time you may spend 40 minutes an hour doing that and he's not any you know he's still a half mile ahead of you three quarters of a mile so it's uh yeah that well the the other thing about my situation was i thought i had jumped him because there was i came to a spot where you could tell he turned and looked yeah. On his backtrack, maybe he just, he either, he either saw me coming up through, didn't like that bed or the wind shifted and he smelled me. Yeah. And he took, there was running tracks leaving that. So I followed the running tracks for like 40 yards and I'm like, well, so I went right back to where I was. I made a fire, <laughs> had my sandwich, waited yeah. a half hour. Yeah. And then I walked another like... 150 200 yards and that's when i blew it because i came I, his running track stopped all of a sudden i was like oh shit i just wasted a half hour see it could have just been a big limb blowing out of a tree or something too yeah anything you know they hear all that and that'll make them skitter ahead a little bit you know so so for people who think the fire affects the deer he was bedded 200 yards away i was sitting there having a <laughs> campfire so yeah. it doesn't that's matter funny. That uh, that waiting though after you jump them is key. Yep. That's I mean that's what killed that deer this past year for me in Vermont. I mean I followed that deer around and then jumped him on the backside of that beaver bog, and where he was bedded he had me pegged like it was a little bit of a clearing, and I kind of followed his track along the edge of that beaver bog and he'd walked along like four of them already, and he walked along the edge of that beaver bog for about. 60 70 yards and it was kind of open and then he cut right across the bog and went right onto a little teeny knob on the other side of it and was bedded right on that bank staring at me so he saw me as soon as i popped out of the woods at like 70 yards and he was probably gone because he was bedded right on the other side of a blowdown steep hill 
and all he had to do was take one bound, and he was over the top of that knob, and he was gone. So he was bedded in the perfect spot, but there was there were moose in there and all sorts of other, you know, there's always moose walking around in there. So when yeah. I found that bed, I'm just like, I'm just going to stand here for 30 minutes. So I just stood there for 30 minutes, and that was what killed that deer. I stood there for 30 minutes, and I started to get cold because I dress really light when I'm tracking. And I followed that deer. He didn't run a quarter mile, and he went from a run to a walk, walked up a little teeny grade, and stood on the top of a knob. And you could see where that deer, it was almost like a bed. He'd stood there and tracked it up so much, but he just stood there and stared at his backtrack. Yep. And when I saw that, and I could just see his slow, slow foot dragging walking tracks away from that and 10 yards further i could see where he was ferning already digging up ferns and stuff i'm like this deer's dead i'm i'm gonna kill him because he just thinks oh that was just a moose or he he had totally forgotten about me totally totally blown it off and he was just like i'm fine i'm just gonna i'm in a huge chunk of woods now i'm just gonna keep walking i'm just gonna keep eating ferns because he'd probably been bedded all you know for five six hours at the time so he's like i'm up i might as well eat a little bit and i caught up to him and not even a half mile and shot him. So if I hadn't have waited at that bed, if I'd have just kept walking, it would have been a, I, I bet you I would have never caught up to that deer that day. Cause I, he would have been standing there and he would have seen me coming right away. And where he was, it was all he had to do is take four or five steps and he was right over the knob again and gone. He just had it. He, he, he was covering his ass and he was standing there and he didn't see me come along for 30 minutes. You know, I'm sure he was there within five minutes. Yeah. And he stood there for a long time. I mean, it was all tracked up where yep. he was just standing, Nervous. There, standing there pacing, looking and looking. And I didn't come along. And he's just like, all right, everything's good in the world. You know, it yeah, wasn't. But- it wasn't. <laughs> you know, but I mean, he it, it, that's just stuff you learn. Like in my youth, I used to just chug right along on that track. You know, it was all about just covering ground while I kept jumping that buck. And they see you following them twice like that you know then they put it then they're just like all right i'm being hunted that thing's following me you know because you got to figure maybe when he was a fawn or a yearling he got followed like like that by a coyote yeah you know they're tracked all year long yeah they're followed you know all the time and they they know they know that their feet have to do with it yeah they 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 gotta they know everything else is using their nose just like them so, they you know, they think they got, that's what we're doing, but yeah, they got they got bears after them when they're a fawn all the way up through, and they got coyotes after them all the time. They just uh, if they know you're following them, that makes the game that much tougher. Yep. So just yeah, little not, little tricks to pick up on, man. It's it's so much fun. They're not dumb. No, no, you, they don't get five six plus years old by being dumb, and it's just trying to figure out. You know they're 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 an extraordinary animal so you got to do you got to do something different than what the average hunter's doing to kill them consistently anyways they make mistakes but to consistently kill them you got to do stuff that other people aren't they don't make them often and they don't make them in a lot of areas they're only making that mistake in a little one spot maybe yeah killing them out of a stand is just figuring out where where can i catch him making a mistake or where is he vulnerable you know and when you're tracking them, it's just a matter of getting the shot. Just getting the, <laughs> sh- getting the shot at them and trying, you know, a lot of times, you, you know, if you can see them before they see you, you're going to kill them. But do you spend a lot of time in the, in the summer 
practicing shooting? Like, do you roll tires and all that? Or nowhere near as much as I should. You know, no one shoots their deer rifle as much as they should. I no. don't think. You know, I'd like to set something up. Uh, maybe this summer or next. This summer is going to be so busy for me, but um, maybe to shoot it in the winter would be the best time to probably do it. Um, I'd like to set up some sort of a running deer target on a zip line or something that goes down through the woods. Yep. In, in and out of trees and shit. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or like, you know, you're, I always thought it'd be cool to have one that's kind of like a 3D course where you're, you know, you have 20 targets or whatever, but you walk a loop through the woods and you get to a spot and it's just like, okay, when you get there, there's a paint, you know, spray paint square on the ground. When you get into that square, you've got seven seconds to shoot the deer target and you got to walk with your head looking down at the ground let's say you walk into that square pick your head up you get seven seconds to shoot that deer target it may be at 10 yards it may be at 80 and it's going to be in a hunting scenario like a buck just stood up out of his bed i think that that would be like awesome real world practice you know and then you could have some running shots figured out in there where you have somebody roll a tire down a bank or you have a zip line where it's kind of going away from you down a bank down a hill you know because that's a lot of times you're not shooting a deer running perfectly broadside they're running quartered away away yeah or straight away in a lot of cases so it's uh that's something people don't practice enough no it's it's hard to get enough practice in doing it especially with ammo prices now Mm -hmm. you know and it's not for a lot of people it's not it's not convenient just because you you need a place to do it there's not a lot of good places you can go fire off a high-powered you know, rifle 20 times and no one's going to get mad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so th- so then you add the cost of the ammo, then yeah. you got to drive there mm-hmm. and, you know, time and... Set it up. Yeah. But it's uh, it's imperative. I mean, all through my youth, I was I would always go rabbit hunting in the winter with a twenty two, and I would have a scope mm-hmm. on it just like my deer rifle. So it just gets you in better get your hand-eye coordination for shooting stuff with a scope, you know? Because a lot of people struggle with a scope, trying to get something moving in it, you yeah. know? But I've always had a scope, you know, a, a scope 22 and just shot, you know, rabbits Wait, did and you squirrels. Tr- track and we, them? The rabbits, yeah. We'd have, we the funnest way to hunt them, with, when you didn't have a dog, we didn't have a dog, so it'd be my buddy and I, and we'd get a fresh snow where it snowed right into the morning. And that was, the, that was pretty cool. You'd walk until you jumped the rabbit. And then right about where you jump them, usually that rabbit's going to come right back through that basic area. Yep. Have one person get on the track, and they just whistle or keep talking, whatever. You can you can run that rabbit right around in a half-mile circle, and it'll come right back. Beagle them. And you can shoot them, you know? And it, I mean, you don't get them all the time, but it's it's hilarious because that, that rabbit will run kind of a circle around, you know? Yeah. And you can hear your buddy kind of looping around. All right, he's headed back your way. He's headed yeah. back, you know, whistling, whatever, you know, or hooting like an owl, whatever you want. It doesn't matter what you do. You can walk silent, but it's just then no one will know where the hell you are. But, right. But uh, it was a safety reason also. If you were whistling, then you knew which direction not to shoot. But uh, that is a great, that's great practice, having a snowshoe hare loping by you, not not burning by like he would be with a beagle, but just loping by. Yep. And you just got to pick an opening and try to shoot him behind the shoulder or the head or whatever. It's it's great, great practice for deer on. Yeah. Uh, Mike Stevens from Big Woods Bucks said that was, he told me that was, He's like, that's the best practice in the world. They run just like a deer, just smaller. Yeah, they they do the same thing 
is pretty much deer do just on a way smaller scale yeah. the season's long yeah so you get plenty of chances to do it um yeah you said that's and you're tracking so you're if you're if you're gonna just track them and shoot them too you're then you're working on not having your eyes on the ground and you're up looking yep. for what you're after I've, I've shot a pile that way too um, and you work and it's good practice uh, you pick one of them things out, man. For That's, your eyes, yeah. Because yeah. deer I, are easy to pick out compared in the to a snow, white, yeah. white rabbit with everything covered in snow. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Deer look like, yeah, they stand right out. Yeah. It was funny, that video you put, it was on Facebook or Instagram or both, but that snowshoe hair that hadn't Oh, I've seen a bunch of them, yeah. I've seen a bunch of them. They're, he was, they're still white, man. He, he was like, <laughs> he was trying to fold into himself he was trying to make himself was, as small I, that, as possible the phone was within two feet of him yeah at one point i could see him underneath that top and i'm trying to get i get the phone already yeah, like, he's, he's gonna back. he's gonna bolt out of there and i got the phone on video and i got it going i'm like oh no way he's gonna he's gonna he's one of those that's gonna hold tight and i got i got the phone within two feet of him i could see his heart beating yeah he was just freaking out and he's just like my camo's working my camo's working that it they know I'm here. And he took off, you know, you can see he finally just panicked. And, uh, but yeah. every other one that I've seen, I thought you're going to grab him. Oh, he was close. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Uh, the, all the others that I've seen, you know, while I'm looking for moose sheds, that's usually where I'm running into the hair. Uh, I mean, at 20 yards, they're taking off. So I don't know if they're figuring out that their camo isn't quite working or what, but they're running at 15, 20 yards. That one was, that one was the exception. He let me yeah. get real close, but in the snow, they usually will let you get real close. Um, but they're still white, man. I'd hate to be a white rabbit running around with owls and everything. They got to yeah. contend with, you know, just, they got tons of predators after them. Their camo needs to change over like ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder when it, or why it does. Like what? Is it's, it some, it's, is it's, it's some, the amount of hours in the day. I'm sure it's all photo. Yep. Photo, you know, the amount of days, the amount of light in the day. So yeah. that that would indicate because we we starting to have less severe winters. Yeah, we usually had snow all through March. I never shed hunted in yeah. March the past few years. It's it's so been they'll mixed. they'll have to. That'll probably adjust. That's hope in yeah. in evolution. There's not enough of them around anymore. Um, but yeah, it's, well, so, you know, you never know. It's it, people say we have a lot lighter winters and then the next winter we're going to get pounded with snow. It goes back and forth. But it, it it's like. leaving early though. Yeah. You yeah. know, this year was a very early spring. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was bare a couple of times. It'd go back to snow on the ground. It was bare in February a couple of times and yeah, fifties a couple of days. No, it was, uh, it was a good winter for the animals. They had a good mild winter. That one day in February, it, it got up into the 60s or something. And then, like, the next day, I think the next day or the day after, it snowed. Yeah. And everybody was miserable. And I'm, like, I'm looking around, like, you know, it doesn't snow enough. Yeah, you didn't fall for that. You, pe- you didn't you think people, it was spring in February, did you? You people have had it easy. <laughs> March I mean, it is usually brutal. March is easy usually brutal. winter. And, yeah. it, like, you need more, more hardships because yeah. you're entirely too soft. Yeah, I'd like to have ice fished a couple more weeks, man. The lake trout fishing was. Phenomenal. I never even stood on ice this year. It was a it was a good year. I wanted a little bit more ice fishing time, but I it wasn't 
you know, once that once the ice melted, I was just like, well, I might as well start shed on. So yeah, was, you can't grow the ice back. No, no. Once it melts, it it's gone. You know, it was a good year though. Um, the few times that I got out, caught a pile of trout. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's I I I always go back and forth on shed hunting in March too, because so many deer are still carrying in March. There's still yeah. a lot of bucks carrying. <clears throat> I remember one year I hiked way up onto a mountain. It was March 12th, right around the middle of the month. Got up onto a side hill of oak, and there was still a little bit of snow on the ground, but it was all crunchy snow, and the way that the winter fell, I'm just like, all the antlers should be right on top of the snow. Like, I should go now before all of it's gone. And, man, I got onto that side hill, and it was co- I could see it was covered in deer. There was, I'd see 15 deer standing there in one spot. And I'm looking with binoculars. There's an eight-pointer standing there like middle of March. I'm like, well, I'm not going to find those sheds. So I might as well not even bump him. I just turned right around, walked right off the mountain. Yep. And I came back, you know, April and then started shed hunting. And that's when, that's when the snow disappeared that year. It wasn't, wasn't until the beginning of April. So it's, and, and why some deer carry their antlers so much longer than others. Like most of those deer this year that I found antlers from by the camera that I left up on the mountain there, I would say they all shed in January and, some years I'll get pictures of deer in the end of March that still are carrying. It's, you know, I've heard of people yeah. getting pictures of deer this year still carrying into March, and I don't know what, you know. I saw a buck on St. Paddy's Day once. Yeah. It was like a six-pointer or something, two-year-old, but. Yeah, I don't know what, what makes them carry them for so long sometimes, but. It's got to be the stress, if they didn't have a. Stress and testosterone, maybe. I don't know. They still yeah, got a the, lot of it. The younger know. ones are the ones that seem to hold them longer because they don't have. Yeah. I mean, they're just getting bumped around during the rut anyway. They're not. Yeah. Those big ones. They're not having are, to fight and, and protect their territory. They don't have any territory yet. Yeah. Those big ones that are all run down or they're, they seem to shed. Well, anywhere from like you you hear of some the very end of December, people will find some tracking or whatever. But I think the bulk of those big bucks shed January very beginning of February at the latest. I think the bigger bucks, the five-year-olds, you know, and up, I think most of them are shed by February. That's fun. I still got quite a bit, quite a bit of good weather to go hiking around and do some spring scouting. And there's still a lot of snow up north, so. Is there? Tons. I was talking to some people that were up there looking for moose sheds, and they're still knee-deep or better, you know. Hmm. So. Yeah, once that once that goes out, I wanna I wanna get up there and do some scouting in some areas. I was in last year and saw. Well, at the end of the day, unfortunately, I finally found a good track. But I I'd already done eight miles, and it was like three in the afternoon. Yep. I still had a three hour drive home. Oh yeah. I'm like, but it crossed a road that the road I drove in on, I'm like, did I miss this or did this come through? <laughs> like, could I catch this buck? I'm, yeah. I'm thinking, and I'm like, just, I felt it, and I'm like, it's not, he didn't just come through. Yeah. So now I'm wondering if I drove by it. I drove yeah. by or slow, you could have just missed him. Yeah. You know, a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah, so, and uh, yeah, screw it. I'm going yeah. home. I was whooped. It was, it was a hard eight miles. It wasn't. Oh, absolutely. It wasn't. No a, question about it wasn't walking around the, the swamps it was up down up down 
No, you steep. get you get three or four good days of tracking snow, man. That's all you want in a row. Yeah, you're pretty. You know, it's depending on how much you get, you know, you're, and how the day goes, and what time of the year it is. You know, like post rut bucks don't travel as far as right. those, those deer during the rut. I followed some of those deer around, you know, before Thanksgiving. It seems like after Thanksgiving is like the magic time. Like from then on, I love tracking them. But yep. man, before then, they can be a pain. Yeah, you can get on some that just don't want to stop. Yeah, and if the deer density is not <clears throat> not super high, which is mainly where we're tracking, yeah, um, absolutely, they're, they they gotta, won't stop. They got to go a long ways to find a doe. Yeah, yeah, they're not stopping until they find other deer. A lot of the times. Yep. Yeah. Well, we'll wrap this one oh, up. Oh man, yeah, time to go bust some turkeys and catch some trout. Trout season's open now, so. Yep. Yeah, opened in New Hampshire a few weeks ago. Haven't been out doing that yet either. I got to get the boat ready and have to. Uh, we got to shoot some carp. In the yeah, I want. End of May. You got to. You got to experience that. I want to check that that's out. That's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> Go up to Champlain or Connecticut River or something. There's yep. plenty of carp around. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. So. Yeah, it looks it. The spring is a fun time. Yep. I love it. All right, man. Good talking to you. Yeah, absolutely, bud. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure and come back and join us every other Monday with a brand new episode. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, make sure and leave a review. And you can find me on YouTube at Northeast Hunt and Film. Once again, thanks for listening.